were listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Hey, well, good morning. My name is Greg, and I have the privilege of being our central pastor of students for our 6th through 12th grade ministry. And I'm really excited because coming up in a couple weeks, we have our winter retreat. It's, yes, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much fun. If you have a 6th through 12th grader, middle school or high school, I'd love for you to get them signed up. It's going to be a blast. But hey, we've been in this series called Starting Over, Living Life beyond your regret and the steps that we can take to not just live beyond your regret but hopefully you can come to love your regrets but before we get into that i want to share with you the story of michael phillips now many of you know that in 2016 michael phillips made olympic history when he took home five gold medals and one silver medal bringing his medal total to 28 he's the most decorated olympian to ever live And I think it's truly inspiring the way that he was able to master his craft in order to push his body to the limits and have the success that he had. But I think what's even more compelling was how different his story could have been. Because you see, in 2012, shortly after the London Olympics, Michael Phelps just found himself in a dark place. And he turned to drugs and alcohol. And after years of drug and alcohol use, broken relationships, and increased apathy towards swimming. He found himself face-to-face with potentially losing everything after being arrested for a second DUI. And it's in those days afterwards that he began to isolate himself, and the drinking got worse, and he finally got to a point, and he had this to say about it. He said, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. I thought the world would just be better off without me, and I figured that was the best thing to do, just end my life. And I think it's so tragic because we can probably name a few rising stars or young athletes who had the whole, their whole lives ahead of them so much potential, but then they make a mistake and they get stuck in that regret. They get stuck in that mistake. But thankfully, Michael Phelps, his story doesn't end there. His friends and family convince him to check himself into a rehab facility. And a friend gives him a book called The Purpose Driven Life. And it's an amazing book. It's all about finding God's purpose for your life. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. But you see, it completely transformed his life. This is what Michael Phelps had to say. He said, it turned me into believing there was a power greater than myself, and there's a purpose for me on this planet. And you know, through that time, he was able to renew his passion for swimming and go on to become the most decorated Olympian to ever live in Rio. But even more than that, he was able to get his personal life together. Since then, he married his fiance, celebrated the birth of his first son, and even reunited his relationship with his father. You see, what could have just been another story of a washed-up athlete, another story of what could have been, was redeemed. And here's what I want you to know, is that God wants to take your story of regret and turn it into a story of redemption. God wants to take your regret your biggest mistake, your worst moment, and redeem it. This is what Paul had to say, who experienced this firsthand. He had this the same Romans 8, 28. He said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, 
your biggest mistake, your worst regret. God can take your story of great pain and turn it into a story of great gain. And your worst moments are where God can do his best work. You see, we all have regrets, some bigger than others, but when it comes to regret, we all have. And remember, in this series, we've been putting them in the one of three buckets. We have regrets of action, the things that we did that we wish we wouldn't have. Maybe your regret of action this morning is come to church this morning, and then now you got to listen to a 15-year-old tell you about regrets. <laughs> but we all have regrets of action, the things we did we wish we wouldn't have. And we have regrets of inaction, things that we wish we would have done that we didn't do. Maybe for you, you find yourself here, and you just regret, man, if I would have just spent more time with my kids when they were younger, then maybe they would want a relationship with me now. Or maybe you're dating and you're thinking about the one that got away. If I would have just said this, I would have just done that, I'd still be with them. So we have regrets of inaction, then regrets of reaction, the things that happened to us that we wish would have never happened, like a horrible accident. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck in what we've been calling the sorry cycle, where we have this longing for things to be good, we're longing for things to be better, but then we get stuck in our regret. They remind us of why things can't be good. They, they lie to us and tell us things will never be good again because of what happened, because of what you did, because of what you said. And we can be held back, and we can actually get stuck in our regrets. But today I want to share with you in the final part of our series, the final step in living beyond your regrets and learning to love them. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And today we're going to be talking about a character we've been talking about through this whole series, David. Now that might sound familiar to a lot of you, because David was a hero. He started off as a lowly shepherd boy, and then he goes off to war, fights the battle against Goliath, ends up winning, and then later on in his life becomes king, goes on to write many of the psalms we have in the Bible today, and is recorded in history as a man after God's own heart. He lived a magnificent life, but you see, David's life was not without his own regrets. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we learn about David's greatest regret. He finds a woman named Bathsheba, and he sees that she's beautiful, and, she, and he invites Bathsheba into his palace, and she ends up getting pregnant. And so then, to cover it all up, he, kill, he has her husband killed in war, and then he ends up marrying her and makes himself look like the good guy. And then in chapter 12, the Lord's going to send the prophet Nathan to David. And he's going to, the prophet Nathan's going to tell him a story of a rich man and a poor man. Of the rich man who had hundreds of cattle and hundreds of sheep. This man was really well off. And then the poor man had nothing but one little lamb who ate from his table and drank from his cup. And so a traveler comes to town, comes to the rich man. And the rich man, instead of taking any of his cattle or his sheep, goes to the poor man, steals his sheep, slaughters it, and serves it to the traveler. And I want you to see David's response in verse 5. It says this, it said, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You see, David was furious. He was ready to go find this man. He was ready to go bring this man to justice. You see, David was furious, but he was also oblivious. Because in verse 7, Nathan comes right out and says, David, you are that man. 
And David has to do what we all must do. If we're going to live beyond our regrets, we have to recognize our regrets. And this can be a very hard thing to do because we like to stuff our regrets down and pretend that they don't exist. And we say things like, the past is in the past. I'm only looking ahead. But if we don't recognize our regrets, then we cannot truly move forward. And what David does next is what we talked about last week, is that David releases his regret. He asks God for forgiveness. This is what he says in Psalms chapter 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He's saying, God, have mercy on me. I said to myself, the man that did this should die. I deserve to pay four times over. God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And if we're going to release our regrets, it always involves forgiveness, whether it be asking for forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving somebody that hurt you, or even learning to forgive yourself. So David recognizes his regret. He releases it. And then now, the third and final step to exiting the starry cycle is trusting God to redeem your regrets. We all have to trust God to redeem our regrets. And here's what happens next, is that David and Bathsheba give birth to a son named Solomon. And that might sound familiar to a lot of you because Solomon is the one who becomes king after David. And Solomon constructs the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. And under Solomon's reign as king, Israel experiences unprecedented economic success and unprecedented peace. But ultimately, and most importantly, it's through David and Solomon's line that Jesus, the Savior of the world, is born. And so God takes David's biggest regret and uses it for good. Now I want to point out three truths about how God redeems our regrets. And the first one is this, is that redemption is something that God wants to do. It's something he wants to do in your life. We don't have to beg him to do it. He already wants to do it. This is what it says in verse 25. It says, because the Lord loved him, talking about Solomon, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. You see, Solomon means God's peace. Because as David and Bathsheba ask for forgiveness, they get back on the right track and they're finding God's peace. But Jedediah, that means God's beloved. Now don't miss this. Is that God's beloved was the son of two former adulterers who would have never been born had it not been for David's worst regret. It says God loved him. And you see, we all have a part to play in redemption. The Greek word for redemption actually means to rescue, to save, to rescue. So let me tell you a story real quick. When I was probably six or seven, my family took the only spring break trip I could really remember, and we went to the happiest place on earth, Great Wolf Lodge up in Traverse City. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. And I, I came from a big family. I have six siblings, and so my parents were a little scattered thin with all of us. And so I was six or seven, and I got alone in the water park. I was by myself. And so I'm having fun, doing whatever I want. I'm jumping from lily pad to lily pad. And at one moment, I slip, I black out. And the next thing I remember is I wake up and there's a lifeguard standing over me. And they say, okay, now we need to find your parents. And I became every person that works with kids, I became their worst nightmare because I just ran away. <laughs> I, I got up and I booked it. I actually jumped back in the water. 
and they're like, you got to get out. But anyways, what I'm trying to get at is that we have, all have a part to play in our redemption, is that if God's going to rescue us, we have to let him do it. And I wonder how many times out of fear we end up going right back to the very thing that left us in our regret. You see, if we're going to allow God to redeem our regrets, we can't fight them. And it might not always look the way that you want it to, because you see, the truth that we learn from David's story is that redemption takes many forms. You see, Solomon was not the first child of David and Bathsheba, but he's actually their fourth. Their first son, when he was born, became very, very ill. And here's what David had to say about that in verse 22. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, and I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. You see, in David's case, he thought redemption would be in the form of letting his first son live, but it wasn't until years later that God gave him Solomon and was able to demonstrate redemption through him. And I I want to share with you guys just a couple ways that God can redeem our regrets. And the first way is this, that it can look like finding your way back to God. You know, sometimes our suffering, our regrets, our mistakes, that it has a way of bringing us to a point to question ultimate meaning and ultimate spiritual depth and start asking those questions. But you see, our regrets also have a way of bringing us spiritual growth. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm just being honest, I pray a lot more when times are bad than when they're good. And so God can use our tragedy and our suffering as a way to to challenge us and to help us grow spiritually. And it can also look like rescheduling, right? I think of the parents who are trying to have kids right after they got married, right? But it didn't happen until years down the road. Or the, the business executive who started off as an entrepreneur trying to start their own business, working hard, doing all the things right, but then it ends up failing. But you know, it was later redeemed and it prepared them for their next job. And I, and I know that each time God redeems someone's difficult past, it's always for a preferred future and it's perfectly adapted for that person. Redemption also looks like redirection. I think of a woman who is so torn up about her broken off engagement or she's to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I can live without it. I don't want to do life without this person. But then now years later, she's married to a different man who she knows is so much better for. This idea of redirection, it's personal to me. You see, when I was in high school, I was very short-sighted. I didn't think much beyond high school. So 11th grade came and went. I got a job and I was just spending money. I think I went to Michigan's Adventure like four times that summer. And so I was not thinking about the future at all until finally the spring of my senior year, I finally applied for college. And I really didn't get in anywhere except for community college. And there's nothing wrong with community college. It just wasn't my first choice. So I remember during those days, I'd wake up, go to class, go to work, come home. And I just remember thinking like, God, there's got to be something more to life than this. And it was during that time that I actually opened me up to serve more in our student ministry with Fusion 412. And I began to, to grow this passion inside to, 
to share the gospel with students, to let them know the identity that they have in Christ, to disciple them. And God used that passion and ended up calling me into ministry. And so God used my regret of inaction, my stupid decision to not apply for a normal college, to call me in to ministry. And so it can look like redirection. It can also look like a chance to bless others. I think of the addict, right, who's trapped in addiction and finding their way out. You can share your story and your journey to encourage others and to help others on their journey of healing. And I would even argue that those who have suffered have more to offer than those who haven't. See, redemption takes many forms. It doesn't always look like the way that we want it to. It doesn't always look like the way that we prayed for it to happen. But God wants to redeem it. And we have to try to see things from God's perspective. And truth number three is this, is that redemption requires us to take the long view. Because there's, there's really two views. There's this view of right now, and then there's eternity. And God always sees our story, our journey, from the perspective of eternity. And we have to try to see it from his perspective. And let me be clear, we have to try because it is very hard. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, sometimes redemption takes months. Sometimes it takes years. But the Bible is full of stories who waited for a long time, of people who waited for a long time for God to redeem their regrets. Think about Moses. Most of you have probably heard of him. But he murdered a guy in Egypt and was forced to flee. But then later, God redeemed his rage, and he ended up leading the Israelites out of slavery and became their greatest leader in Israel's history. I also think of Peter, who was one of the disciples. He was prideful. He was bashful. He was boastful. But then God redeemed his imperfections, and Peter was the rock on which Christ built the church. And think about Paul. I mentioned him earlier. Paul began as Saul, where he went around arresting Christians, persecuting them, he would hold the coats of the people that were throwing stones at Christians, that were executing them. But then God redeemed Paul's legalistic mindset and he became the greatest missionary to ever live. And so my question as we wrap up here is will you let God do his work in you and through you? You see, what's different about this step of redemption is that recognizing and releasing is something we do. But redemption is something that's only possible with God. Redemption is not something that we can will to happen on our own. It is only possible with God. You see, historically, the term redemption was referred to as the price paid to free a slave. And so we can either live as slaves to our regrets, stuck in our regrets, or we can live in the freedom that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because you see, on that day, he paid the price for our regrets. He paid the price for our sins that we could live in freedom. That we wouldn't have to be held back anymore. That we wouldn't have to be held back by shame of our regrets. Jesus paid the price. He wants to redeem your regrets. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares the story of the prodigal son where it's a father with two sons, and the one son comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. I, want, I don't want to wait. Just give it to me now. And so the father gives him his inheritance. 
And then the son goes off parties and wastes it away. And then the famine comes and the son loses everything. And then he is forced to work on a farm with dirty, nasty animals. And he's hungry. And he's thinking about the life that he had. And he's like, man, I just need to go back to my father. Maybe, maybe he'll let me be a servant in his house. And so finally he resolves to go back to his father. And Luke 15 says that while the son was still a long way off, the father runs out and meets him. He embraces him, puts a ring on his finger, and puts a robe around him. You see, the father was looking for the son to come home. He was waiting for the son to come home. I want you to know that God is waiting for you to come to him. You don't have to clean yourself up, try to get it all figured out, try to redeem your own regrets, try to make things make things all nice and order in your own life. Allow God to do that for you. We only need to recognize and release, but we need to trust God to redeem our regrets. So on your way in, you should have all received a three by five index card. In a moment, the band's gonna come back out. We're gonna go into one final song. And during that song, what I'd like you to do, what I encourage you to do, is to, don't write your name on it, but just write down that regret. That regret that keeps you up at night. That regret that you keep thinking back to, that you can't get out of your head. And that haunts you. And what I'd like you to do is write down that regret. And then here at the front of our campuses, we have a cross here. And I'd like you to just place it on the cross as a symbol of saying, God, I'm trusting you to redeem my regret. God, I surrender this to you. I can't do this on my own. God, I'm giving this to you. So in a moment, the band's going to play a song and then write down your regret, put it on the cross. But first, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, when it comes to surrender, it's so much easier to preach about than it is to actually do. And Lord, right now, I think of the person sitting here who's saying, I've done too much. There's no way that God could love me. I just ask that they would feel your love right now in this moment. They would know that they can still come to you And Lord, that you accept us and you embrace us with open arms. God, there's nothing we could do to separate ourselves from you. So Lord, I ask for the strength and the courage to take that step of surrender. To say, I give you my regrets. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.